You are listening to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast, a Burning Hallows production. We are your otherworldly hosts, Alora Rain and Kitty Fields. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to receive notifications of future weekly episodes. We invite you to check out our sister podcast, Mimir's Well, where we explore taboo topics in the witchcraft community. Support us by going to patreon.com slash burning hallows and visit alorarain.com, my website, to grab a tarot reading, numerology, or soul origin profile. Also, big shout out to our newest patrons, Fernanda, Morgan, and Amber. Thank you so much for your, (laughs) thank you so much for your patronage. We really appreciate you. Absolutely. And now on to the show. As if the night had said to me, you are the night and the night alone understands you and enfolds you in its arms. One with the shadows, without nightmare, an inexplicable peace. Anne Rice, Interview with a Vampire. The undead, creatures of the night, bloodsuckers, nightwalkers. In this insatiable episode, we dive deep into the untold mythology of the vampire and examine their pagan and elemental origins. So grab your goblet and settle in for a bloody good time. Warning. This episode contains discussions that feature themes that may be disturbing to some, such as death, suicide, blood, and gore. Listener discretion is advised. Are you excited? Yeah, I, I yeah, very much I'm, so. I'm stoked. Get it? <laughs> I do. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, uh, I've been looking so forward cheap. to this one for sure. I, I don't know if people are as into this topic as, as maybe we are, but I find it thrilling. So <laughs> awesome. If a vampire offered you eternal life, Alora, would you take it? Hmm. I don't know, actually. Mm, it's a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I think the default answer for everyone would be like, yes. yes. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it's like, wouldn't that get boring after a while? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, because everyone that you know and love will die, you know, yeah. far earlier than you will. And so. hmm. You have to live hundreds of years and, oh God, I don't know if, I don't know if I got the strength. <laughs> it might be a little monotonous after a while. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. What's your favorite vampire movie? Interview with Vampire. Okay. That's good. I th- I think that was the first one that really captivated me. I mean, I know that there's others, but that one was like seductive in a way. Yeah. It's very romantic. Yes. Mm-hmm. the costumes the time period all of it is the vibe all of it is very romantic what about you um the lost boys with Kiefer sutherland i knew you were gonna say that. Corey feldman <laughs> Corey haim yeah i can't i can't i just i can't pry myself away from that movie i love it it has to be one of my top five like of all time <laughs> now that we know our guilty vampire movie pleasures why don't you define or try to define what a vampire is? 
So the word vampire actually comes from the Germanic word vampire. And after that, I guess the word vampire, uh, when it, it passed into French, and then it stayed the same when it was assimilated into the English language. Hmm. The German form actually came from Slavic and Slovak variants, such as the Polish Upior or the Belarusian Upir. So there, it's the same as well as in, in Ukrainian and Russian words. It's spelled U-P-I-R. And then in Bulgarian, it's Vapir, which, funny enough, when we take it back to its very like beginnings, may mean witch as well. Hmm. Yeah. So the first recorded use of the English variation of the word vampire actually comes from a police report in Austrian-controlled Serbia at the time during the 16th century. The police were basically investigating some vampire claims made by local peasants. Hmm. And that's where that we first see the word vampire spelled in the way that we spell it, you know, in the English language in America or wherever today, V-A-M-P-I-R-E. I, I, before we get started, I just want everyone to know that we think that to define the vampire, it's going to be so easy and very like clear cut. It is not. <laughs> it is just as complicated as any other like origin or root of a label or word or, you know, it tends to be very complex and blurry and kind of melts into many other different, you know, mythical creatures and kind of folkloric beliefs in general, like over, over even cultures. So it, it's not easy to define, but we're going to try to do that. <laughs> it's a quilt. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's a bloody vampire quilt. <laughs> okay. Drenched. No. Okay. What about modern definitions? Well, I mean, I think for most of us, when you say vampire, we all have like a specific image that pops up in our head and it's it likely comes from something from the mainstream in our lifetimes. So mm. typically, like when we're talking about the mainstream vampire, it is an undead being that stays hidden in the darkness with an incurable lust and hunger for blood. That's the main thing. They were once human who have been turned by another vampire. That's typically how it goes. That's the, the mainstream definition, I would say. Right. But there are other types. Yes. Yeah. I think that there's other definitions and, and it could be types as well. But like I said, this gets very complex. So, you know, you take it how you will. But another definition of a vampire, we hear also about the psychic vampire. This is mm. a, a creature or perhaps even a person who is said to feed off the life force of other living creatures. Basically, if it is a person, this person is someone who gets increased energy when they're around other people, but then leaves those people feeling exhausted or drained of energy. Mm -hmm. I think most of us ex have experienced at least somebody like this today. Maybe we don't think of them as like vampires, but you know, that is a definition. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Narcissist comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, they do that. They definitely do that. It's kind of, and we'll get into this, but it's the whole concept of needing something that they don't have and then feeding off of that energy, but it never really like satiates them. Right. Right. 
So another definition is sanguineous, which is basically it's vampires in modern times or people who claim to be vampires who claim to actually need blood from other humans in order to feel whole or healthy. And so they actually physically drink blood from another human being. And how do you feel about that? Um, I've met a few people because I used to frequent a Gothic club here where I live. I met a few people. I actually went accidentally on like vampire night or something legitimately. And I met a few people that like explained it to me. And I mean, I don't like I'm open-minded enough to be like, okay, I don't understand it, but maybe that's just the life that they want to live. And as long as their, their other person is willing, then I don't see anything wrong with it. Mm. I mean, can it be dangerous like health wise? Yes. But they also say that they're very careful about that. So it's not for me, but you know, I'm not gonna, yeah. That's, yeah. As, a, as a Virgo who's extremely worried about hygiene. For sure. Oh, absolutely. That's the yeah. first thing I think of is no, don't get hepatitis. Well, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. There's so many things that are bloodborne that you can, you know, contract mm. from another human being. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, if that's their thing, that's what they do. I'm not here to judge, but yeah, as a Virgo or as someone just in general, like in the medical field or whatever you go, Ooh, that doesn't sound healthy, but <laughs> you know, you can't stop people from doing what they're going to do. What about demonic vampires? Yeah. So this is another like definition that we could take or, you know, try to explain the vampire, but simply put, it's a vampire that's been created by demonic forces. So, you know, supernatural forces, they're typically depicted in the media as a human who has died and been possessed by a demon or a human that simply becomes possessed by a demon, you know, while they're alive, essentially. And this, this is like the, the creature that's portrayed in shows back in the day, like Buffy, the vampire slayer and angel. It was always like, you know, the demon, you know, that, or the person be- died and they became a demon or the demon possessed them and made them a vampire kind of thing. And I think we all remember some Buffy. Well, maybe not all of us, but those that are old enough. <laughs> I'm showing my age. Give oh, me a break. <laughs> I've been, my daughter's been, my daughter and I have actually been watching it together. She loves it. Mm. We've been binging it. <laughs> actually, uh, truth be told, I think think my favorite vampire series was true blood oh you know what i love true blood too up until the very last season and i i think i stopped watching it because i was just kind of like i got disenchanted a little bit oh yeah well look clearly hbo doesn't know how to end a show they've proven over and over (laughs) right (laughs) let's talk about the vampire's potential origins from ancient civilizations from the I've taken this from the New World Encyclopedia, but we have an explanation of the vampire's possible ancient origins. So vampire-like spirits called the Lilu are mentioned in early Babylonian demonology. And the even more ancient blood-sucking Akaru is discussed in Sumerian mythology. These are essentially female demons, and they were said to roam during the hours of darkness hunting and killing babies and pregnant women. As awful as that sounds. One of the demons named Lilitu was later adapted into Jewish demonology as the entity Lilith. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I just mean it's really interesting because there's the whole 
Lilith Bible controversy. Yeah. I guess, yeah. Mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. But then we have this that says, no, no, this goes all the way back to Babylonian demonology. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So where does it actually begin and what is the truth? Exactly. So it also, as far as ancient origins in India, tales of the Vitalis, which are ghoul-like beings that inhabited corpses, are found in old Sanskrit folklore. Hmm. Like the bat associated with modern-day vampirism, they were said to hang upside down on trees found in burial grounds and cemeteries. <laughs> a prominent story tells of a king and his nightly quests to capture an elusive Vitala. The Vitala legends have been compiled in the book Betal Pachisi, if I'm saying any of this correctly. But you can look <laughs> it up there if you want to learn more about the Sanskrit folklore around the vampire. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And I just want to interrupt you for one second. If you have access to social media, now would be a good time to check out the infographic uh, that goes along with this episode. And if you have our over on our Patreon and have access to the Book of Shadows pages, uh, see those there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say, I'm not going to go into detail with the succubi and the incubi as far as vampires go, because I feel like it's going to be a whole episode in and of itself. But they, these kind of, you know, sexual astral beings are also a potential origin for vampires as well. And yes, that could be an entire episode. We're going to hold on to that one for later. How is a vampire made according to tradition? Uh, this is not according to Hollywood, but according to actual tradition, how are vampires born? Apparently so many ways, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, you know, we have the idea that a vampire is made because, you know, they're bitten by another vampire and, you know, then they're made to drink the person's blood or what have you. There's always some kind of variation around that. Um, in modern like Hollywood, you know, TV series and whatnot, but in via folklore, there's many different ways. And so some of the first have to do with if you have an unfulfilled destiny or basically what we would call unfinished business, you could hmm. become a vampire, any kind of death that is like a tragic death. So, you know, death by murder by blade specifically, I don't know why that is, but that is kind of um, universal as far as like European tradition, um, as well as death by suicide. Like I said, anything untimely or unexpected, also not just by the blade, but also by noose, water, or fire specifically, those elements are mentioned. So you mean all the ways that they killed witches? <clears throat> right. Trying to define the vampire and finding the actual origins of a vampire is just as hard as trying to define goddess or or a fairy well i think it's more like you know we've had past episodes in like every single season where we mention that the more you research about certain beings the more complex it gets and the more the lines are blurred so you know we have ancestors that we sit on a mound and we wait for them to show up you know an old norse tradition and it ends up actually being like the same as a specific norse god or a, an elf, or, you know, they also refer to them as ghosts and things. So, so it's the same thing with a vampire. Like the vampire seems to also be 
kind of congruent with certain ghosts, revenants, um, zombies are a similar kind of creature. In addition to having an unfulfilled destiny or, you know, a tragic death of some kind. So inevitably, vampires could also be cut off from passing on to the other side. And so mm-hmm. they're doomed to wander the earth or kind of stuck in a purgatory of sorts, which we see in like mainstream media. And mm. they're sort of stuck somewhere between earth and heaven and hell. It's like a twilight space, if you will, but it's not sparkly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, least favorite vampire story. Yeah. In the yeah. <laughs> I tried. I've seen the movies. I tried to read the book. I couldn't. I'm sorry. Don't hate me, but that's the truth. Obviously, when I'm talking about twilight space and getting stuck on earth and you can't go anywhere else, it sounds a lot like a ghost, right? So that's where the we start to see the lines kind of blurring. Well, I mean, this isn't too far of a reach for me because also thinking about spirits and whatnot, mm-hmm. like you can have spirit attachments, right? So oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Who's to say they can't, you know, and, and they can become vampiric. Yeah, they can. As Absolutely. far as zapping energy. Mm-hmm. In addition, there's other ways that vampires are made. There's also could be an interruption or a not ad- non-adherence to the person's death rites. So for instance, you know, preparation of the body oh. isn't done right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hold on. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just cracking up because we talked about death rites in a mini right. I believe. Yes. And I'm thinking you people better do what I want. Or oh, I yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We'll come back, all right? Sometimes they come back. You ever seen those movies from the early 90s? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, and we're going to get more into that, too. So you'll just wait. It gets more exciting from here. Okay. So <laughs> so not adherence to the person-specific death rate. So let's say the preparation of the body wasn't done correctly. You didn't transport to the cemetery, cemetery Excuse me, like you should have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we're also going to be talking about graveyards and cemeteries soon. So this plays into that, but vigils maybe weren't held or they weren't held in the proper way. Aggregation, meaning you didn't have a funeral feast or a party for them, for example. Yeah. People better be doing shots. (laughs) Right. That's what I said. I'm like, no. And I understand, you know, people have their own preferences and things, but I told my family, I'm like, no, y'all need to party. Okay. (laughs) in addition along the same lines if you're if someone is buried improperly for instance Mm. yeah outside of hallowed grounds at the crossroads and we could go on and on about this and by the way this is also how witches were buried Mm. here again we're gonna we're gonna start seeing the lines kind of blurring between vampire and witch it kind of all goes hand in hand and last but not least a baby vamps were born that way no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so sometimes literally people believed back in the day that vampires were born into that fate, right? They had that fate to become a vampire. So those who are born with a call. Which they say about witches as well. Ab- absolutely they do. They also say it about werewolves and um, uh, people that are attached to the to fairy world or fairy realm as well. Any t- well, it's kind of like any type of mythical being. Yes. Or they have powers like psychic powers, medium right. powers, that kind of thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Also, mm. if you're born at certain times of the year, for example, <gasps> during the 12 days of Yule Tide, <gasps> and I was, pagan? ha 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 ha. No, I'm just kidding. Does this include pagan Sabbaths? Um, I'm not sure. We'd have to look that up. I do know that in addition, we, we're going to go into this in a future episode about werewolves, but werewolves is the same. It's like if you're born during the 12 days of Yuletide, you could become a werewolf. I want to say it's the equinoxes, the the solstices, and I forget what else. You have, Stop to, look, it. You have to look it up though. Yeah. We'll have, it. But again, like that, it's, I think they say the same thing. Like if you're born during the 12 days of Yuletide, you could be a witch. So you could be well, a, witch, a werewolf or a vampire or may, what if you were all three? Look, I'm just cracking up over here because- <laughs> Myself and my brother were both born on major pagan spots. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm autumn equinox and he's Yule. Yeah. I, I love that. I think it's awesome. I was born December 13th, which is traditionally part of the 12 days of Yule. And it's St. Saint, Saint Lucy's Day, who I'm starting to really learn about. Um, who became like a leader of the wild hunt that we're going to also talk about soon. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing because of your recent discussions. What? Concerning Lucifer. Yeah. Wow. This is starting to explain a lot. Well, yeah. Well, I was technically born on a Friday the 13th in December too. Plus. During oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so basically anyone who is different, including witches, wizards, those on the outskirts of society, people who also didn't attend mass or church regularly, even sometimes it was based on your occupation. Like you could be a blacksmith and people would believe that you may also be a vampire. Oh gosh. I know, right? I would have died. I would have died for sure. I know. I know. Wouldn't we all that are listening to this probably. (laughs) Okay. So it should be noted. These conditions didn't just make it possible for vampires to be born but essentially a whole host of spirits and the undead that may also become part of the wild infernal hunt, which I think we're doing, we're doing an episode on that or just the wild hunt. Well, wild infernal hunt is the same thing as wild hunt. Yeah. So we are. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're doing a whole episode on that little gem right there, but all of this, (laughs) according to the folklorist Claude Lecouteau. Mm Mm-hmm. In his book, The Secret History of Vampires. Yeah. Really good and even, and even more interesting is that witches are directly tied to vampirism. In the Middle Ages, numerous sources claim there was a fear of a witch rising from her grave to torment or feast upon the living. In <laughs> Norway and other Scandinavian countries, rocks were piled on top of vulvas' graves. Mm-hmm. To prevent them from coming back. Ooh. So witches can also be vampires. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that so man. badass? I love it. Wow. Right? Blow your mind. Did we blow your mind? In medieval Ukraine, when a witch mated with a werewolf, well, they had a vampire baby. Alcide, where are you? If anybody watches <laughs> True Blood. Well, he was hot. Oh, my God. So hot. Yeah. He's still so hot. What am I for talking the, about? For the record, and I know all the vampire lovers are going to hate me for saying this, but I am more of a werewolf fan. I just can't help it. Oh, I know. That's, becoming, that's because you come from the Black Forest in Germany. <laughs> Probably. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't have a preference. 
I mean, like, they I mean, are kind of all tied together. So, you know, let's talk about what vampires are in their very essence from a witchcraft occult perspective. Mm-hmm. So I like to think of people, places and things, particularly magical, mystical things in terms of the four elements. Mm. So to me, like when I really break down a vampire, when I think about it at a very element level, I'm thinking that they're water and earth. Mm. When I think of the vampire as an entity and I try to find its core, I'm thinking so as far as earth goes, vampires have to bury themselves or sleep in a coffin at night. Mm. So coffins are originally or technically wooden, right? Right. And many are born from the grave or the ground. So like in Anne Rice's series, an interview with a vampire, typically when a vampire is made, they have to either bury themselves in the earth or go into a coffin before they've made their transition. Right. So automatically, I'm just thinking, okay, that makes them tied to the earth Mm. more so than let's say the sun and the sky. Right. Yeah. Definitely not tied to the sun. No, which is fire. And we also can think about in a lot of the movies and the things that we see, they don't like fire either. Right. Right. So in addition, as far as the water element goes with vampires, they have a constant thirst for blood. Blood is essentially water. And also, interestingly, when I was really thinking about this, many vampires are said to have psychic abilities. They uh, have the sense of prophecy. They also have powers of telekinesis and telepathy, which are all technically linked to water. Mm. In addition, as far as the water and the blood thing goes, having a bloodlust, blood was considered the life force or the essence of people in centuries past. And even today in some religions like Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't allow any blood transfusions for this reason because they believe that the soul is... Mm. Um, present or you know movable in the blood so that actually dates back to ancient times or you know medieval times yeah right addition when you think about what is the vampire's main objective or objectives so the first thing that drives them is sort of this emptiness they're void of love of life and something makes them yearn for it so to consume blood in search of that but the the problem is that it never really fills that need so they're always thirsting for blood and Mm. or the soul and never being satisfied so they could drink and drink and drink and drink and drink of people's blood because in my eyes it's like they're they're searching for that soul right they always say the vampire is devoid of a soul it's just like an undead creature which when you think about it in the middle ages they always said, you know, witches didn't have souls and vampires didn't have souls. So all these things were lumped in together. Right. Another thing that kind of drives the vampire, especially in modern times, is sexuality. Mm. They're often portrayed in Hollywood as being very attractive and they're kind of this pure, raw sexual force. Yeah. So to me, this aspect is just another aspect of an insatiable desire or, you know, part of the carnal pleasures that the church blamed on demonic forces and witches. Mm. And therefore that image was absorbed into the concept of the vampire. And it was made particularly popular by the 19th century Gothic writer, Bram Stoker. And there were some other ones too. Mm. That's definitely true. 
Yeah. Yeah. So for me, if I was to like break down the vampire in my eyes, I see it almost synonymous with the witch, particularly when we're talking about like middle ages. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which brings us to (laughs) medieval folklore. Yeah. If you guys can't tell, I'm totally like geeking out on this blood sport (sighs) that we have going on. Okay, so one of the potential origins as far as medieval folklore goes is The Revenant. Have you ever heard of A Revenant? Uh, I've heard of the movie The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) Yeah, so that has has the concept in it. Yeah, so A Revenant is one of two things. It's either a ghost or an animated dead body. Hmm, zombies, okay. Yeah. Or ghosts, which is weird. I know. So typically there's no way to tell if the being was a ghost or a corpse. I don't know why. That's just, yeah. You like see the person. You're like, are you a ghost or are you the animated dead body of this person? We don't know. It's scary either way. So. (laughs) Touch it. (laughs) Right. So nevertheless, in the Middle Ages, a revenant was a revenant and it had to be destroyed, whether it was a ghost or a body. Either way, people had to get rid of it. Right. So, but Mm -hmm. why were they feared so much? They weren't just undead. They were creatures who often sought to drain human life force to fuel their existence. And in some sources, they drank blood. Oh, okay. Plays into the idea of the vampire, of course. And then we also have the story of Beowulf and a very famous or infamous revenant. So according to folklorist and scholar Claude, excuse me, Le Couteau, is the tale of Beowulf. He says that this specific medieval epic poem tells the story of the warrior Beowulf who defeats the monster Grendel, which most of us know about if you've ever read or heard of uh, Beowulf. Grendel and Grendel's mother are actually theorized to have been revenants because Beowulf finds their corpses and cuts off their heads. And back in that time, well, you know, back in that time, this was the only known way to destroy a revenant. And mm. I think that that happens in a lot of vampire stories, too. They say you have to cut off their head. We said there was going to be gore, okay? <laughs> I'm here for it. As far as how a revenant is created, how a revenant was created, according to folklore, a revenant was created when a person's body was buried off holy ground, which, again, we mentioned, like, with the vampire origins, the problems mm. with burial, Right. Right. So revenants were often thought to be evil people in life, including murderers and traitors. Mm. Additionally, they might have committed suicide or they didn't believe in God. I don't know why all these things are lumped into the same category, but they are. And these people entered a state of unrest following death. Again, like we said, with the purgatory and vampires, and they stuck around to torment the living. So to me, I really think revenant and vampire is kind of a synonymous like entity. Yeah, it sounds like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now we get into my favorite part, I think. Yes. <clears throat> Which is the possible elemental origins of vampires. Right. And when we say elemental here, we mean like fairy world. Yes. Etc. Elven. So Yay! in a, a couple past episodes, Laura and I both theorized that vampires might actually be elemental in origin. Mm. And we did a little bit of digging and we found that we might be right. Yeah. And it seems through several different <laughs> cultures yeah. and mm-hmm. creatures. The Beovans, I'm pronouncing it wrong. We're just going to go with it. The Beovans Seath 
or seed is a female fairy in Scottish Highlands folklore that's similar to the succubi. They have the feet of deer. They typically wear green gowns and they cover their heads with cloaks. Mm. There are stories that tell of men who are seduced by these beings and then drained of their blood and left for dead. (laughs) However, this later folklore tale may stem from an older understanding of a local coven or priestesshood in that area. Yes. And then there was also the ingestion of entheogenic plants. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, because I'm just, I'm just hypothesizing here when you say an understanding of an older coven Mm -hmm. in the area, and then saying that they have the feet of deer Right, uh, right. what, what could cause that if you, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I bet anything that they probably venerated a goddess that was associated with deer as well, you know, True. Yeah. next is the Glystig, and it's a type of malevolent water spirit in Scotland. That's also typically female. She is half woman, half goat, like a fawn. There's speculation as to whether she's a ghost, a fairy, or was once a goddess of the hunt as she's supposedly very protective of her herds of sheep and deer. And unfortunately, in more recent legends, they claim that she drains men of their blood, which sounds an awful lot like the Beovan Seath that we just talked about, too. Mm. You know, looking over this list, I noticed that most of these, most of these elemental beings are feminine. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. So if I hear one joke about, they. Women are vampires. I'm coming through this microphone. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. I agree. Okay. And then we travel to Ireland. Yes. We have the Leanne and she. This figure is complex in Irish fairy mythology, but her name translates to fairy lover as it Mm. is her purpose to take a human lover as a mate. This beautiful fairy woman lives in sacred wells and streams, but unfortunately, you can't typically trust her based on more modern folklore. She's vampiric in nature because she sucks the life out of her lovers directly after gifting them with unbelievable musical talent, which isn't making sense to anyone. I don't know why. Some claim she keeps her victim's blood in a red cauldron. Once again, just me, but I believe her image may have been distorted and demonized over the years. And she probably was once a Celtic goddess of some kind. When you said red cauldron, all I thought was Halloween decoration idea. (laughs) Right. I know. Yeah. But, you know, the cauldron is usually attached to the image of the goddess and Celtic tradition. So that's what tipped me off to that. Hmm. And then this next one, we're traveling to the Norse land. The Draugr is an old Norse form of the Revenant. This undead creature guards its treasure in the burial mound. Mm. Yeah. So they have actual bodies. They're not just spirit, but they're animated, you know, physical bodies. And interestingly, these guys don't suck blood, but they do turn others into Draugr by contagion and so are often considered a type of vampire because of this oh interesting i know yeah and even more interestingly a berserker who is a bear warrior if you haven't been listening to our other episodes 
His name was Thrain, and he supposedly turned into a troll of sorts, but was also considered a draugr in like Norse mythos. Mm. Yeah. So here we see a crossover again between Fae, you know, elemental and vampire, basically. And also, if you are a gamer and you play Skyrim, uh, there are Draugr in that game. Uh, Lots of them, actually. Okay. (laughs) So if you want to see one, they have done a... uh, So the uh, bear, which are Melanesian wild women who reside in marshes, also... Yeah, because of course they're vampires. My God. Right. Of course, yes. (laughs) They seduce with their beauty and they entrap men with quick growing reeds and then they eat them. So they basically have like a plant and like envelop them and then they eat them for dinner. Well, they probably said the wrong thing. (laughs) Well, I'm hoping it's like a very delicious plant that they use to envelop the the man so that they can just throw the whole thing onto the spitfire and roast it. (laughs) I'm sorry, that was dark. (laughs) Anyway, I'm sorry. That was dark. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Uh, jokes, people, jokes. And then I added the last one to this list, which is the Maroi. Mm -hmm. Uh, This comes from Romanian folklore, and they were thought to be ghosts or phantoms who leave the grave to suck the energy from the living. So again, we get into that ghost aspect that you were talking about. Mm, Yep, exactly. Mm hmm. The Romanians also have a second type of vampire as well, known as a Strigoi, mm-hmm. who are actually the traditional, in quotes, type of vampire in that they shapeshift into animals and drink the blood of their victims. Hmm. Um, and it is believed that Stoker's Dracula has become the modern interpretation of what Strigoi are. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, but that but they still have that elemental aspect in being phantom like. Yeah, it's it's blurry, right? We will we're gonna continue to say that about otherworldly creatures. Yeah, because it's uh liminal. Hello. Yeah. Okay. Ancestor worship and blood offerings. <laughs> Vampires could also have arisen from the ancient worship of ancestors and specifically in Eastern European countries that we know of. Certain cultural cultural groups believe strongly in their ancestors return to the earth from the land of the dead. To prepare for their ancestors return, some gave offerings of blood. As you do. Right. No, exactly. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the blood was menstrual. Other times it was from elsewhere. So the blood offering was put in a pot or it was buried in the ground. The idea was that hungry spirits fed off of the offerings. And this could have possibly been the origin of vampires or one of the many origins. I think that that's very, mm, it's kind of, it's, I don't know. It feels like it's kind of reaching at that point. I mean, it could be, but you think about like the concept of hungry ghosts and, and Eastern cultures. Yeah. Like when they're not fed, they get very angry and they haunt the, I don't know. I just, to me, it all just blends together and I have a very hard time defining one from the other, you know, mm-hmm. in this cauldron of creatures in this red cauldron. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so blood offerings were common throughout the ancient world in nearly every culture. 
both from human and animal, and was often gifted to the gods or ancestors. It could also be that the gods who stopped being fed the blood they were used to became vampires. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, at least, I don't want to say a majority, but a very good population of mm-hmm. practitioners I know of mm-hmm. uh, still use blood in their practices, mm-hmm. like okay. their own, of course. Right. So, so this isn't something that's old and gone and died away. I'm not one of them, but I don't, you know, that it's up to the person. Right. Correct. Yeah. It's up to their, this is a judgment free zone. So let's talk about those famous vamps. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about them. So the first one we're going to talk about is Judas Iscariot. That is such a name that most people like despise, don't want to hear about, but The author by the name of Lynn Gibson actually writes that the book of Agula written in 843 AD by a Catholic monk named Aed, A-E-D, states that God punished Judas by restoring his life after he had hanged himself. He writes that God in his fury condemned Judas to walk the earth until the final days. Judas would fear the sun and be cursed to roam the land in darkness. Judas would never again know the comfort of death and would be damned to only feeding on the blood of living humans for eternity. So, Uh yeah, the legend of Judas established actually many iconic vampire traits, which have been branded into the history of the vampire up to this day. There was other than Bram Stoker, there was actually like four or five other Gothic writers around the same time that sort of, I think, like weaved this legend into their writing. So I think that's where this gained its kind of popularity as a vampire origin. Okay. Number one, mm-hmm. didn't know Judas ever had a last name. Oh, yeah. You didn't know that? Me. There was two Judas, actually, uh, disciples. Oh, I knew that. Yeah. Last this- names were never mentioned to me. Oh, but yeah. Wow. But anyways, the, the I second thing. I had a better childhood if it wasn't mentioned to me. <laughs> <laughs> The second, the second thing uh, from this particular factoid here yeah. that I'm thinking is this is my problem with Christianity <laughs> because I, I cannot understand why a loving God would basically punish someone by allowing him to murder other people. <laughs> right exactly you know I'm what i mean like a thousand percent yes it doesn't make any uh, okay so let's let's move on we're going to talk about countess bathery so countess elizabeth bathery is a controversial historical figure from medieval times mm. fanatics claim she was one of the first vampires and actually refer to her as the blood countess others claim elizabeth bathery was the most brutal female serial killer in history killing over 600 innocent women. Still others claim all these accusations were false and that there were political forces at play that were set Mm. out to destroying her and her reputation, which I am more inclined to believe the latter, but that's just me. (laughs) Yes. No, I completely agree with you. I actually listened to a podcast not that long ago. It was actually on the Joe Rogan podcast. (laughs) Oh, I've seen him live. It's actually pretty funny. (laughs) But they were talking about Elizabeth here and the fact that she Mm -hmm. owned like an enormous amount of land in the area. Mm -hmm. 
And I think it was like the largest plot of land in the area. And so they, they had to figure out a way to get this land away from this woman. Yeah. Because there were, there were other people that wanted the land. Of course. Yeah. She, she was had like power no. and land and right. Yeah. She was like, no, just get, get the hell out of here. Exactly. And they were like, okay, next is my favorite. And I have a story for this one. What Vlad, the impaler. So he's one of the historical figures that Bram Stoker likely took inspiration from. And Vlad III, or Vlad Dracul, or Dracula, is one of the most important rulers of Wallachia and is actually still a national hero of Romania. Huh. He, he lived in the 1400s AD and gained a name for himself because of his cold-hearted methods and war. He captured and impaled his enemies, including the Ottoman Empire and Transylvanian Saxons. Mm. So because of his bloodthirst and his name Dracul, which means devil or dragon also in modern Romania, he is often considered one of the first vampires in modern lore. Okay, so this is one of the stories that was told in my high school AP European history class. Mm. And it's probably one of the stories that made me fall in love with history itself. Oh, yeah. But to give you guys an idea of when we say he captured and impaled his enemies, we're not talking he captured one or two people here. We're talking there Mm -hmm. were fields, fields of people that were impaled from their bottom to the top of their skull. Yeah. So, so just picture that. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's actually like, a, but like a, a drawings of it. Right. Yes. And um, I have to say that knowing that the Transylvanian Saxons were pagan and because Vlad considered himself Christian and he had to also rid the world of these Transylvanian Saxons, I kind of don't like him as much as I used to. <laughs> <laughs> well, Look, I don't, I don't know about him as a person, but the story itself for sure is what made me like in high school, I was like, oh, history is so cool. Yeah, no doubt. I actually did a ancestor profile for a woman who I traced back, um, her name, her mother's name, her mother's familial name or whatever. I traced it back to Vlad the Impaler. Mm, And she didn't seem that like amazed by it and i was like i know it's a little rough but i think it was also kind of (laughs) cool like i wouldn't be upset about it you know i'd be like what so that's kind of badass but anyway she i think she had mixed feelings about the information (laughs) i i think i would too because that's a lot of like oh that's that's a lot of dead bodies on your hands (laughs) yeah but it's not you i mean you know The last vampire we have to talk about is known as the Highgate Vampire. So Mm. there's this famous historical cemetery in North London called Highgate. Apparently, Mm. it's extremely haunted and is full of history, including the belief that bodies were exhumed and seem to be preserved like by the ground, indicating vampirism in the 1800s. Then in the 1970s, a big media sensation broke out about the Highgate Vampire supposedly a large tall dark phantom type figure had been seen in and around the cemetery by multiple folks and a couple of modern day vampire hunters 
went after it and people began believing it was all fake at that point. So, and I think if you want to hear more about that whole case specifically, I recommend listening to the podcast called Honey and the Hex. Mm. And they have a whole episode. I think it's just called The Highgate Vampire. And they're, they're two British sisters that talk about all this lore, which is pretty fun. Cool. All right. Well, now that we've left you ravenous, how <laughs> <laughs> we wrap it up. Yeah. So I think that's all the next we're going to be biting for tonight. Dearest Oracles. Yes, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> As always, thank you for, for your continued support. And remember, whether you're in the land of the Fae or the land of the ancestors, stay otherworldly. <laughs>